Welcome to the Venture Church Podcast. We strive to lead people to be God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. Our goal is to tear down the walls that have kept people away from church to help them build a relationship with God, our Creator. We are so glad you're tuning in today. We hope and pray that this leads you to Jesus and His path for your life. So, without further ado, here is today's teaching. Today we are wrapping up what has been a very long teaching series uh, called Walk the Walk. It's the teaching through the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, so if you've missed any of that, I got to tell you, it's been just really edifying for me personally. Uh, as I've spoke, we've also had three other guest speakers come in and speak, uh, Patrick and Caleb and Brandon, who all did great jobs. Uh, go and check out uh, on our podcast if you missed any of that, because it's just a really great selection of teaching through a big section of Scripture. Um, if you haven't been here, let me just kind of catch you up where we've been. We have been going through what is called the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. And so we're just going to read that as we start out this morning, just to kind of get our bearings again. Uh, And there's this list of virtues that the apostle Paul says, when you are in God, when you have a spirit moving in your life, these are the things that will kind of blossom up out of your life like fruit. So um, I'm actually going to do something we never do here, but we've done this verse so many times that I feel comfortable that you can do it. Let's read this together. If you can close your eyes and do it, it's even better because you should have it by now. But let's read, I'll read from the screen and make sure I'm in the same version. But here we go. Ready to go. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, gentleness. I messed it up. Let's start at faithfulness. My screen here is shorter than that one. Here, let's start at faithfulness. Ready? Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things, there is no law. So we've been going through this whole passage. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, uh, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But then verse 25 says this. You don't have to read it. It says, since we live by the Spirit, then let us keep in step with the Spirit. And so there's this idea that God's Spirit has something that He wants us to keep up with. That's what we're calling it, walk the walk. We want to be a church family that's not just about talking the talk. We want to be about walking the walk. We want to kind of put our money where our mouth is or, or let the rubber meet the road. We want to actually be about the stuff that we say we're about. And so that's been the challenge. Um, today we, we land on the final virtue on the list, and it's personally uh, my least favorite on the list. I don't know if you caught it as you were reading through it or maybe you memorized it. The word is... Self-control. Ugh. I think it's not a fun one. And you know, I wonder why Paul put it last. He's like, okay, I know. I'll write that one down eventually. Self-control. Uh, Christianity Today is a magazine. Uh, they published an article recently called The Science of Sinning Less. Sounds pretty intriguing, right? And in this, in this article, it was a look at some research about self-control and how it affects uh, our life in general, specifically how it affects our spiritual life and faith. And and, and it showed some really interesting things about self-control. I'd like to read you a couple excerpts from that real quick. Uh, First of all, just from near the beginning of the article, uh, it says this, which kind of defines self-control in case you need a framework to work within. It says this, self-control regulates desires and impulses. I love that sentence. Self-control regulates Desires and impulses. It involves wanting to do one thing, but choosing to do another. So we substitute responses to a situation like wanting to eat a bag of chips, but instead picking up an apple. It goes on to say, we use self-control to regulate what we think, what we do, and even how we express our emotions. Willpower is the emotional and mental energy used to exert self-control. So willpower and self-control, very intertwined there. And so you read that and it's like, 
It was pretty obvious. Okay, so self-control means eating, you know, a salad instead of a, a bag of chips. Duh, right? Uh, but it goes on and it tells you something else that's even, I think, more intriguing and interesting, especially for us today, because there is an impact of self-control on our lives. Check this out. Uh, this is another excerpt. It says, research has found, for example, that people with more self-control, listen to this list, live longer, are happier, get better grades, are less depressed, are more physically active, have lower resting heart rates, have less alcohol abuse, have more stable emotions, and are more helpful to others. They get better jobs, they earn more money, they have better marriages, they're more fruitful, I mean faithful in their marriage, and they sleep better at night. And so to all this, we would still say, duh, like, so right, so people who make better choices have better life. Okay, well, that's, uh, I knew that already. But if that's so true, if self-control is so obvious, and it's so ob- obvious how good it is for us, here's my question, and I'm not asking you, I'm asking me, why is it so dang hard to have self-control? If it's so obvious that it's good for you, then why is it that I struggle with it so much? Why is it that you struggle with it so much? This article goes on to show that self-control is listed often as one of the top struggles, not just of people who claim Christianity, but of all people. Because along with self-control goes in uh, the category of like personal discipline. And we struggle with it. We know how good it is for us, but we just, we don't have time for it in our lives. Uh, As I look through this list, love, joy, peace, patience, all these things, they're so good. And it's called the fruit of the spirit. And so when I look at that list, kind of what I kind of, I don't know, it, it seems implied is that like, if I have God in my life, these things are going to be given to me. They're gifts from God. He's going to give me the ability to love. He's going to give me to, the ability to have joy. And we've even approached it that way through this series, because I think it's true. Like you might not have been very good at joy before you find Jesus, but then once you really understand Jesus, you're like, man, I really get joy now, even when times are hard. And it could go through the list. But then I get a little frustrated because at the very end, like all these are gifts. Okay, so free love, free joy, free peace, free patience. This is great. And maybe it takes some work, but God's given me this. And then the last one is self-control. And all of a sudden, like the spotlight comes back on me. Oh, I have a role in this? Like there's work for me to do? Well, dang. Like, I was thinking God was just handing out everything good for me. Self-control. And so I, the Bible is full of examples of how hard it is to have self-control. So if you feel like self-control is a hard thing for you, listen, you read cover to cover of the Bible, the greatest people throughout history, people of faith, some of the greatest ones, their biggest weakness was some moment where they lost control and they had some great moral failure. And so you look from cover to cover and you say, okay, so I'm not alone in this thing. In fact, the Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote this, the guy, let me just back us up on the Apostle Paul. He's the, uh, the disciple, the, the follower of Jesus, who uh, he's the guy who takes the message of Jesus to the non-Jewish world. He's responsible for starting, establishing, planting like dozens of churches. He wrote the majority of the New Testament. You would think if anybody has their mess together, it's going to be Paul. No. Romans chapter 7, he goes on and on about this struggle he's having. Let's look at verse 15, Romans 7, 15. He says, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I, I do not do. But what I hate to do, and that's the whole passage saying, look, there's these things that I know I should be doing, but like I just keep struggling in it. Even Paul struggling with self-control. So what do we do? What do we do? Um, I like pictures. I like imagery. I got something for us. You want to see something? I got something here. I got this right here. Anybody know, recognize this? Hold on. 
This right here is going to be an image for us today. I got a problem. Hello, my name is Chris. <laughs> and I got a problem. I love Krispy Kreme donuts. Now, here's the reality. We live in Wilmington. We've got this beautiful place called Carolina Beach. There's another donut shop. Have you heard of it? Brit's Donuts. I was going to use Brit's Donuts. Uh, one, they don't have the cool box that's got the good visual. But the problem is, every time I went down to Brit's to go get a dozen donuts, like they would be gone before I got here. And I cannot explain that. Um, so we're gonna, this is going to be a placeholder for us. You need to see? Let's just, let's just. The band, when I put this up here earlier, they were like, <laughs> Chris that played bass, he was like, is that for your sermon or is that for us? <laughs> I was like, it's for sermon first, and then we'll see. <laughs> oh, man, it smells good. There's blueberries in there. I have friends who are, this is just, this is a representation of something. You're going to follow this real easy, okay? So anytime you get lost, I'm just going to be like, wafted up there. Um, I got friends, though, who are so big into Krispy Kreme. You know, they have an app, and they'll let you know when the, you know the red light, right? Hot, fresh. And I got friends, I think they believe that the red light at Krispy Kreme is actually a legally binding red light. Like, they have to stop. Like, you have to go in. And when you stop at the red light, you have to buy at least a dozen donuts. Okay, two dozen donuts, because it's necessary. And they do it, man. You stand there, and they're, like, making the donuts, that machine. Like, you're just, like, mesmerized. And you're like, it still works. Every time, they're perfect. And then there's that one donut that's not perfect, and they set it to the side, and you're like, what are you going to do with that? You can't, <laughs> you can't sell that. Here's the thing. Um, as I look at these donuts, I recognize, uh, first of all, donuts aren't all bad. In fact, I got I got This is my conviction. Donuts, they, they're made mostly of flour, right? And flour is a plant. Plants are vegetables. Donuts are essentially vegetables. But that's just, I'm still making a case for that. But the thing about the donuts is they're going to represent, what is it in your life that is tempting to you? What is the thing that you have a hard time with self-control? And I'm not just talking about sinful things. There are things in our life that we need to control because they're out of control in our life. We're doing them in excess. We are not in control of the faculties of ourselves. And anytime the red light comes on, I got to have it. I got to get it. And anytime we see it, the conversation stops. Um, so I'm going to leave this right here. We're going to return to it. Uh, there's a teacher. His name is Mark Batterson. Uh, he is a, an author of some really great books. I recommend you look him up. He's also a pastor in Washington, D.C., he defines self-control like this. He says, self-control is making decisions against yourself. The self-control, I'm controlling myself, making decisions against yourself. And at first, when I first read that definition, I kind of hated it. I was like, That's, I don't know, it seems like not right. But then I, I kept understanding what he was saying, and, and I think we see this every day in life. Uh, if you've gone to the beach recently and you see that one dude or that one girl who was just ripped, I mean, she is jacked. They have like biceps that are bigger than your like legceps. You know what I mean? Like these guys are just shoulder muscles on top of their shoulder muscles, and you look at that, and they've got like the six pack. They don't have the six pack. They got like the, the, the eight pack or the nine pack. Like they got an extra pack. Like they're, they're loaded, and you're like, what? That's not fair. Not fair. Here's the thing. They understand self-control. They understand this decision against yourself because while you were lining up at the buffet, they were on their way to the gym. They made the decision to go. It was often the harder decision. Talk to any professional athlete who's worked really, really hard, and they'll tell you those 4 or 5 a.m. workouts. Sometimes they're like, I hate this. I don't want to do this. But they, you talk to anybody, if you've got a friend who's a doctor or someone who's got a PhD, someone who's got a really high education, you look at that, and you're like, well, come on. You just you get at ease. And maybe they do have some natural abilities, but they made the decision against themselves many times. While their high school friends were living in their mom's basement, 
They were taking more classes and they were going to the library and they were studying and they were in study groups and they were building their resume and they were working hard because they understand making a decision against yourself. Uh, you see a world-class athlete or a musician, they've made lots of decisions against themselves. While I was at home on my couch watching sports, listening to music, they were out making it and doing the hard work, self-control, making decisions against yourself. And here's the thing about that definition. It is so not 2018. Because uh, we're all about like, you recognize this quote? Treat yourself. <laughs> yeah, it's all about like me, self-love. And if you don't want to do whatever makes you feel good, honey bun, you just do that. That's the worst advice ever. But that's the advice we're giving children today. It's the advice that we're giving the world. We're giving to each other. If it's hard, you know, just don't. And that leads us nowhere. And we are weak and we are unable. But that's the advice that we're giving the world today. Self-control is such a huge deal. In week, week, week one of this series, we unpacked the majority of Galatians chapter 5. We only read a short portion of it today. But in Galatians chapter 5, Paul talks about these, these two sides, the self, he calls it the flesh, and the spirit. And let's just read that again, starting at verse 16. So he says, so I say walk by the spirit. If you do, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. There's this battle. And the spirit was contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. Picture battle, picture war. You've been there. You've been there. My mind is telling me, yes, but my body, my, my body is telling me, let's go. This is, this, is what we, this is what we think. There's this conflict. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Then he says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. I love that he says that. They're obvious. But just in case you ain't paying attention, let me show you. Let me give you the list. Here they are. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And if that list just flew by you, we did like a 35-minute message on it a couple weeks ago. Go back and listen to it. It's, it's, it's good stuff because we get stuck on the words that like either we don't know what that word means or like the stuff that we're like, ah, I don't practice witchcraft. But did you notice that in here are the words, you know, uh, selfish ambition and envy and rage? Like these are things that you probably struggle with. And this is the acts of the flesh. He said, I warn you, as I did before, the people who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And we've got to understand it's not because God is just so exclusive and mean that he doesn't want us in there. It's just that he's like, look, I'm pure, I'm holy. And to be in my presence, you've got to be on my game plan. And so that's why he gives us grace. That's why he sends Jesus. And that's why he comes in and says, listen, you're not going to get it perfect. But if you live a life that's all about that, you're not living for me. Our own flesh have these human urges. I'm going to call them donuts. These carnal desires, these acts of the flesh. And self-control is about making a decision against that. Um, one time Jesus said it this way. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. It sounds like making a decision against myself is what it means to follow Jesus. Donuts or the apple, a salad, that's the choice. What we know is healthy and good for us or the thing that just feels good in the moment but in the end leads us away from God. And so 
On the one hand, that sounds pretty easy. All right, guys, let's pray and go home. That was easy. But I read that in the definition earlier, like from the article. Like we get that. That's obvious. But if you've lived for a Christian as long, or even for a Christian for long, or even if you haven't, even if this is your very first time like considering taking some steps in your faith, I want you to know that we're all in the same boat. You know that it's not as easy as just saying it. Today, my hope is to unpack some very practical principles that really will help us walk the walk and using self-control is the guide for that. Uh, so I have something else here. I've got these donuts. Down here, I've got this, this guy here. This is my rope. Notice it's pretty long. I'm going to need it. See, what we tend to do when we turn to Jesus is we got this phrase. Christians use it all the time. We say, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. That's a phrase people have used, and I don't know if you've ever used that phrase. It's a great phrase. Those are two things that Jesus does. And as Christians, we often are really excited about the Savior part because, man, I don't want to drown, you know? I don't want to be stuck in bad stuff. I recognize that, you know, sin in my life is hard. And, and most of all, like, I want to go to heaven, and I, I don't want to go to hell, and like those kind of things. And so we're real big on the, the, the Savior part. But you know where we struggle? The Lord part. Because we choose Jesus, but then over here, we've got this thing. that, like, man, I, I don't know if I can really let that go. I'm just going to hold on to this. Like, I might need it later, just in my, my bag of tricks, just in my repertoire. Or, or you, know, you know, I've had a really struggle with this thing, so um, I need to keep my eye on it so I can help other people. And we tell ourselves all kinds of lies, and you know what we do? We tie this rope from ourselves to the very thing that has pulled us away from God. There's this tether there. And though we really want the Savior part, we're not big on the Lord part. And what happens when we do that is that we actually are choosing to call other things Lord daily. It's not self-control, it's donut control. It, it's addiction control. It's the thing that pulls you away from God is actually control. And listen, um, if you're like me, you hate this rope. You absolutely despise this rope. You wish you could just get out a knife and just cut it up and cut it up, but then I'm like, I'm mending the rope later. I'm tying it back up. And you might be in a place where you're like, I got this thing in my life and I just can't stop it. And you hate it. And you, and you wear this guilt and it's so hard and it's just so heavy. I want to tell you something. Uh, Rick Warren says it in a really good way. He wrote a book called Purpose Driven Life. It's a bestseller. He said, many Christians are frightened and demoralized by tempting thoughts they feel guilty that they're not beyond temptation. And I want to tell you something today. It's okay if you feel that you're not beyond temptation. The Apostle Paul says, the things I want to do, I do not do. Instead, I do the things I hate to do. Jesus himself, the book of Hebrews teaches us, was tempted in every way. Yet he did not sin, but he was still tempted. The temptation part is not the bad part. In fact, there's even some things that we tie ourselves to that aren't in themselves sinful. I'll use donuts as an example, like literally donuts. Donuts themselves aren't sinful, but if like you've got a serious gluttony problem, like a, you like are extremely obese and you have no control, and like that can be a sin issue because that thing is controlling you and you find yourself, like, I just can't stop indulging in this thing. So like literally donuts could be sinful for you. There might just be other things that are just pulling you away from God, just a busy schedule. I'm just signed up for too much stuff right now. So, man, I, you know, I come to church like once every six, eight weeks. Um, I'm not really in community. I mean, my Facebook profile says I'm a Christian, so that's pretty good. Uh, but like, I'm not, and it, what is it? It's this rope. Here's another thing about this rope. Um, we, we like to have a really long rope. I've done this before. 
and maybe you have right now. Like you left that at home. It might be in your truck, your car. It might be in your pocket, but you got this really long rope so you can come to church. Because you can't bring that thing and set it in the chair next to you because that'd be weird. But like we're still tethered to it. And it's where we go when life gets hard. Addictions are this way, aren't they? If you struggle with addiction, I know I have, you get tired, you get messed up in your life, and you're like, I don't even know why I return to this thing, but I just do. You know why? Because you've made it Lord. It's become a guide in your life. It's become an anchor for you. What do we do? I think part of the answer, the whole answer is Jesus. But the part for me is self-control. Jesus does all the spiritual work, but I got to do some of this flesh work, making decisions against myself. Not just against myself because I want to be mean, but against myself because I need to make it for the Spirit. The Apostle Paul paints a picture. Uh, I love pictures. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. Let's read this together. He says, do you, know, do you not know that all runners, sorry, let me start over. Do you not know that in a race, all runners run, but only one gets the prize? So run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So think about this. You train, some of you run in races, marathons, you've competed in, with teams, and you work, you work for a whole season or whatever, and at the end of the thing, you, you're like, it's this huge climax. You're like, yeah, we won, and you get, a, you get a trophy, you get a medal, you get a plaque, you get something. But then at the end, it's like, you ever seen that thing like 10 years later? You ever get a trophy like Little League Baseball and it's like in your mom's attic? And you're like, that's cute. Like at the time, you were willing to sacrifice like life and limb to win that thing. But at the end, it's like, well, it's just you know, some metal and some wood. And some trophies are worth more than others. But in the end of the day, 100 years from now, who cares? I love it that he says, we do it to win a prize that will last forever. This isn't just a trophy that's gonna end up in mom's attic. This is gonna be eternal. And so he says in verse 26, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating at the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. This is the same dude who wrote the things that I don't wanna do, I keep doing. Same guy. So he gets it. And he says, what's the solution to this? What Paul's talking about is effort. When we say walk the walk, I love what he, he kind of changes the metaphor. He's not like walk the walk. He says, run the run. Like this is a race. It's going to take energy. It's going to take, uh, last week, Brandon Smallwood did a great job of speaking last week, and, uh, and I really appreciate seeing him up on stage, but he talked about faithfulness. And in faithfulness, there's this, there's this concept that he said last week, that faithfulness is about follow through. And so if faith is like an individual moment, like I had faith here, had faith in this moment, over here I had faith in this moment, over here I had faith in this moment, there are moments of faith throughout our life, but faithfulness is like the ongoing faith through the roller coaster of life, through the dips and valleys, through the peaks and hills. I like guess it's, it's good to stick through it. And he likened it to like a swing in a sport, like a baseball batter. And so a baseball batter, their goal is to make contact, right? That's their goal. That's faith. But a baseball batter without good follow through is not a good contact. It just, it's aimless. You don't control the momentum. That's just a sports analogy for those of you who have that in your life. But it's just, it gives it to you because the follow through is everything. And when it comes to our faith, follow through helps us through the long haul, through the journey. Self-control and faithfulness go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. You can't have self-control unless you're trying to be faithful, unless your goal is to get somewhere specific. 
A batter doesn't just swing in the game. He doesn't just sit around all week until game day and like, all right, you're on deck. Okay, I guess I should stretch or something and just, no, he's swinging all the time. He's going to the batting cages. He's looking at specific bats. He's constantly testing out different, uh, you know, techniques. He's got a batting coach. He's got, you know, a pitching machine. He's, he's swinging all the time. And the other thing is this. He didn't just settle in on his swing from Little League. Yeah, that's pretty good. I was the best player on my Little League team, so no. Like through the years, he's constantly honing that thing in. He's adjusting his grip. He's adjusting where he holds it. He's adjusting his stance. He's adjusting his sight line. He's working on other things. He's doing sit-ups. He's doing curls. He's doing all kinds of other things in his, uh, the rest of his body because it's all part of the picture of just making contact. It's the faithfulness. It's the journey. And Paul said in verse 25, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict Training, and that's really cool, the strict training word there. Uh, that word strict training, um, the New Testament was written in Greek primarily, and the Greek word that is translated in our NIV Bible right here, strict training, is actually the exact same word that in Galatians chapter five is translated self-control. Self-control is about strict training. In fact, the English Standard Version of the Bible says every athlete exercises self-control in all things as opposed to goes into strict training. You see how those things are so the same. <laughs> Self-control is impossible without strict training. See, self-control is not so much about beating yourself up when you, when you trip and fall. It's not. In fact, the greatest batters have terrible batting averages. <laughs> the thing about self-control is getting back up and swinging the bat again. That's follow through. That's the long haul. That's the legacy. That's fighting for a prize that will last forever. Train. Making decisions against yourself so that next time I do better. Um, so I want to extend this metaphor a little bit because I want this to really be a super practical, hands-on like workshop for us today. As we want to live out the fruit of the Spirit, as we want to walk the walk. Um, this concept of the rope and the donuts, I want to give you a something that you could literally do in your life starting like next week. And uh, this is not a metaphor. This is literal, okay? Get a gym membership. Like around here, is it uh, Planet Fitness is right here? YMCA, of course, we love the YMCA. Go to them, get a membership, get the family plan, whatever you gotta get, put on your counter that the next day, I'm gonna go walk on a treadmill. I'm gonna go lift some weights. I'm not, it's not a metaphor. I mean, physically work out your body. This is why. What I found to be true is if you wanna be self-controlled and disciplined in any area of your life, you gotta be disciplined and self-controlled in every area of your life, or at least more than one. Self-control doesn't exist in a vacuum. It starts with the small things. And so maybe you've got this huge sin, this huge temptation, this huge addiction you're fighting. Odds are good that you have terrible self-control in the rest of your life too. We're talking about spiritual training here, but this thing about actually working, working out the flesh is a big deal because we have to get that thing under our control. Um, if I'm disciplined in my diet, like what I eat, I am by extension gonna be more likely to be able to be more disciplined in my spiritual diet. If I'm, you know, if I'm, if I'm disciplined in my spiritual workout, I'm gonna be more likely to, to have better systems in place to be more disciplined in my spiritual workout. You can't just be disciplined in one area. Okay, so this is me talking and it's like blah, blah, blah. Forget listening to me. Go talk to one of your friends who has had one of these miracle weight loss stories and they lost 50, 75, 100 pounds. Ask them how they did it. They will not tell you that they did one diet. It's not gonna happen. 
they will tell you that it was a lifestyle change, especially if someone's been able to keep it off. Because, you know, maybe started with one diet, but then they realized, well, that's really working. But you know what else would really work if I did this and I did that? And you're going to find that they're going to have areas of their life all over the place that are disciplined. And that was what led to the big, big change. And so maybe for you, it's not a gym membership. So, you know, you don't have to go to the YMCA and you're like, good, I hate treadmills. Um, Maybe for you, it's setting your alarm clock every day and getting up at the same time every day. Why? Because, man, you have a routine. You're getting into the moment where you say, okay, I am going to discipline myself in this area. And if you really want to, the, the cool thing about making these shifts is that if you start making the changes in one area, it starts to affect another area. It's not that hard to get up 20 extra minutes now. And what could I do? Pray, meditate, read my Bible before I go to work. Suddenly you've made that small little addition to your life and it's begun to uh, pour into your spiritual life. Maybe another discipline you could start is start packing your lunch every day. Maybe your spending's out of control. You eat out seven days a week and you're like, you know what? I spent like $500 eating out last week. Wow. Pack your lunch every day. Not because like you're trying to, you know, do anything with your diet, but because I need a discipline. So I'm going to make myself pack my lunch every day. That's a small thing that you could do. Maybe for you, it's taking a month off Facebook or some spirit, like social media. Maybe for you, it's downgrading your cable package because you spend way too much watching TV and time watching TV. And you're like, you know what? If I had less to watch, maybe I would watch TV less. But you're taking some deliberate steps. We're not even talking about spiritual life yet. We're just talking about you and your physical life. And this isn't just a motivational speaker because I live in a van down by the river. This is starting us on a journey that's gonna get us to a better place. Getting rid of a lifelong sin habit is so hard. But set my alarm clock, I could do that. And then we trust the Spirit. We trust God to use these things we put into our life to grow our spirit as we work on our flesh. And I'm going to get into that a little bit more. Earlier, I quoted Mark Batterson. He's the guy who said self-control is making decisions against yourself. He also gave three suggestions of things you could actually do, practical things you could do starting today that would help you build this spiritual discipline of self-control. We talked about like the uh, physical schedule spending discipline. That's just discipline in general. You could get that in any self-help book at Barnes and Noble. That's not from the Bible. That's just good life experience. But he has these three goals that these three things will actually drive us to spiritual growth. Okay. So here they are. The first one is this, establish goals, establish goals. You can't have self-control if you have no idea where you're trying to go. I mean, I'm going to control myself to be what? I don't know. Uh, So establish goals. Um, The passage about the runner said this in verse 26. It said, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. Has anybody ever coached or at least witnessed like five-year-olds play soccer? This is like everyone is, is, what is it, the striker that's trying, everyone's trying to score a goal. No one's being the goalie. No one's playing defense and everybody's where the ball is, even if it's 20 yards out of bounds. These are people running aimlessly, okay? And this is what we look like sometimes when we have no goals for our spiritual life. Like, you know, I should just have, you know, I'll go to church. Yeah, good people go to church. I'm going to go to church. There's no goals. It's just I'm going to go to church because my grandma said it's good for me. I'm going to go to church. And I got these pretty shoes. I need to wear these somewhere. Like, that's, you got to have goals. We don't just run around aimlessly. He says, I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. That's a waste of time. The boxer's training for a specific purpose. And if you don't have any goals, you're aimlessly going through life. And this, the cool thing about this is no matter where you are on a spiritual playing field right now, everyone can start here. Your goal doesn't have to be up here. You can just be like, I need a step. I need a step. That's the follow through. That's the faith. That's the growing. 
And you make your goals about honoring Jesus. Okay, so New Year's was a long time ago, and maybe you made some resolutions. And so maybe you made the resolutions, I need to lose 20 pounds so I can look good in my bathing suit in July. Uh, it's July. How'd that work out? <laughs> you know, so like, sometimes we set these goals and we have certain goals in mind. What, what if our goal, though, was to lose 20 pounds, but not to fit into a bathing suit? What if it was because God gave us one body and I want to honor him by taking care of it? Like, what if that was the driving force? Suddenly the whole motivation changes and guess what? It's become a spiritual discipline, not just a physical discipline. The same process is going to happen for us. Maybe you resolved to, to spend less and save more because you wanted to, you needed a new car or, or you wanted to get a boat or something. That's great. It's great to have goals. It's great to save money. But what if you decided to spend less and save more because you wanted to be more generous to people in need. I'm going to stand on a soapbox for just a second. I, I don't do much soapbox moment, but here's, here's my conviction that the majority of American families make enough money to support two or three families. And you just ask around the room, we've got a handful of single income families and they're fine. In fact, it's possible to live in a single income that is less than what most people in America make and still have bound, uh, margin and savings and the people who have tons of money, these are the people in America, and if I'm stepping on your toes, fine. These are the people who have the most debt and the most unaccounted for spending and the least amount of integrity in how they spend their money. And they got more money than anybody in the world. That's just a soapbox, step down. What if we made better decisions with our money, not just so we could have more money, but so that we could give more away? There are so many people who just didn't have the leg up that you had or maybe didn't have the coaching or the inspiration to take the initiative that you took. Maybe you came from nothing. You understand that. But man, just reaching down and giving somebody a hand up, that's a spiritual discipline. Generosity and humility are some of the greatest virtues of Christianity. And these are the things Jesus did. He didn't even consider the splendors of heaven something he should hold on to, but he made himself nothing and made himself in the likeness of a man. And so maybe that's why we make our goals. You see how we're shifting away from the acts of the flesh and we're getting control of ourselves, not just so we can be better people, like the article said, but so that we can honor God with our lives. That's the first goal, set goals. Uh, what are your goals? If you wanna have better self-control, set goals. And don't wait till next week to do it because you won't do it. Do it today. We're not going to the beach this afternoon. You'll have a little extra time. Make some goals. And before you know it, you'll find that this tether that ties you to the things of the flesh, it's just not as important to me anymore. And you pray about these goals and you talk about these goals with other uh, Christian friends and, and you look for counsel on these goals and you ask God to inspire you to care more about these goals based on what he desires for your life. So establish goals, number one. Number two, establish boundaries. Establish boundaries. Um, man, this past month has been a whirlwind for me. I won't get into it. I know we're all busy, so I won't complain. But uh, I spent two weeks in a row at summer camps. One week at Boy Scout camp. Uh, there were a thousand Boy Scouts there. And I was with a group of men that were in charge of 58 of them from Wilmington. And whew, I was, I was burning at both ends of the candle. And I came home for less than 24 hours, well, about 24 hours before I packed up to go to another week of summer camp where I was in charge of about 100 high school students. It was a church camp. And so uh, I haven't had a lot of margin, haven't had a lot of boundaries. I mean, my boundaries have been in place, but my margin has been like zero uh, this past month. So maybe you've been there. Here's the thing. When we have the least amount of boundaries in our life and the least amount of margin, we are most likely to return to these things. We make the worst decisions when we're tired and when we don't have space and we're not making room for ourselves to make good spiritual decisions. Um, 
And so I'm someone who's always just talking about margin, 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 margin. And I gotta tell you, when I got home from those two weeks, I had to sit down and literally reevaluate. Okay, I need to step back and I need to find time for being with my family, for being in the word and praying, for meeting with people, for doing all the things that I, I need to do. And so maybe that's something that you need to do. I find that the less margin I have, the more blurry my personal schedule is and my input, output boundaries are, the more I'm pulled back to this. Maybe that's you too. I'm guessing it probably is. Um, so what boundaries do you need to establish? Setting goals often begins with finding our boundaries and saying, well, when am I gonna have time to do these things? Well, it might mean cutting some things. It might be reevaluating when you go to sleep and when you wake up. But these things are in place so that we can not walk in the flesh, but we begin to walk in the spirit. So boundaries, you get that. I'm not gonna keep beating that dead horse. Goals, boundaries. The last thing is this, establish routine. Now, if you're not paying attention, these three things sound like the same thing, but they are not. If you've ever gotten control of your life, you know that these are three distinct things. And routine is knowing what your goals are, establishing your boundaries, but then doing it. Routine begins and ends with when do I sleep and when do I wake up? Routine goes, uh, I just was reading in a book this week that often we get in the habit of setting our daily schedule, but this one guy suggested, you know, really we work better with a weekly schedule. One is, is something we can count on more and we, count, we, we include our rest in the weekly schedule. You don't include rest in your daily schedule. Like, what's well, so I'll get up at six and then I'll uh, go to bed at midnight and then I'll get up at six and go to bed at midnight. Wait a second, That's, that, that works for your daily schedule but on your weekly routine, whatever, routine. Routine is this, it's about establishing a rhythm of life that is conducive to your goals and your boundaries. If you don't have the routine in place, like if your routine's messed up, you can't hit your goals and your boundaries because your routine is on another, on another playbook. It's just not even working. Routine, routine, routine. Uh, I can't expect to hit any of my goals if I don't have a routine in my life. Summer is great for breaking up our routine. Fantastic. So we are probably right now in the least routine time ever. But fall's coming. And for some reason, when the pencils and erasers go on sale at Walmart, we get in our mind that I get to start a new year. And so maybe for you, that's what you need. Just an encouragement. Jesus had routine. In Mark chapter one, verse 35, this is a really, really busy week for Jesus. You should read the whole chapter one. But it says very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and he left the house and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Because he wanted to spend time with his heavenly father. He established his routine by making the foundation about prayer. Do you have a routine? Routine is essential in self-control. Self-control is fruit of the spirit. This is not just a self-help talk. This is about us getting control of where we want to be with Jesus. And then eventually, these donuts, they don't fill me anymore. Because I'm finding fullness in the Spirit of God in my life. Am I going to be called back to those donuts? You better believe I am. Because I still like donuts. And you fill in the blank with whatever thing it is that pulls you away from God. But self-control is making the decision against yourself. And deciding to make a decision for the Spirit. Um, Self-control is hard. But here's the zinger. You're not alone. You don't have to do this alone, and you're not alone. This is fruit of the Spirit. And we talked about the week we talked about the Holy Spirit. We said that He is our advocate, our comforter. He is our helper. He is there to come alongside us and fill us with the, the motivation, the strength, and the power. But if you've ever helped somebody that's not helping themselves, you recognize it real quick you're not as willing to pour in much energy to that. 
And I think there's a direct analogy to that with God. He's like, listen, if, if you're not going to take control of this, look, I got all the grace and forgiveness in the world, in the universe for you. But you got to come and do something. And you got to come to me asking for it. You got to make the decision to become a believer. You know, becoming a Christian is a big deal. The Spirit of God doesn't come into our life until we claim Christianity. That's when it comes in. And then we practice faithfulness, follow through. Day in and day out, even when it's hard, even when we mess up, we pick ourselves back up and we keep swinging. That's self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. We put to death the desires of the flesh. We don't need to live in it any longer. And since we live in the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let me pray for us this morning. God, you're good. Oh, man, you give us the ability to overcome these things that are just heavy and they're hard, but at the end, it's like a deep breath because we know, okay, there's something I can do about that. There's something I can say about that. There's somewhere I can go with this. And I pray that as a church family, we are here for one another. Uh, I know right now in this audience, there are people who are struggling with something and they feel drowned in it. That's why they came this morning. But sometimes we just don't know where to take that. So I pray that you open opportunities for each of us to be bold enough to speak up, to talk to somebody. Uh, maybe you even work in some, some nudges for someone to come talk to us and ask how we're doing so that maybe we can open up. God, you're good. Thank you for your spirit. Help us walk the walk. Help us run the race. And thank you for giving us the prize that lasts forever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.